Thank you, thank you. Well, it's cool when God talks to me at the beginning of the week about what my sermon's going to be because it gives me lots of time to think and to chew on it. And um, where I'm at right now is I don't know where God's going to take us because it's pretty cool. Uh, but everything that's been said this morning, you guys don't know it because you don't know what my sermon is. But everything that's been said this morning, the songs that God put on Wayne's heart for the prayer team to sing with us, um, testimonies that have been given, it's like, hmm, God, you're, you're at work. You're doing something here. This is pretty cool. Um, the chief end of prayer, without looking at the verses, what do you think the chief end of prayer is? Just... Anything? Fellowship with God? In Jesus' name? To bring glory to God? Y'all have read the scriptures. <laughs> Let's read it. Jesus is speaking. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And there are two things that I wanted to focus on out of this verse. Number one, in my name. And number two, whoa, the glory to the Father. These are the two focuses that God kind of brought out for me this week as I've mulled over this section of scripture and chewed on it. I'm going to talk first of all, first of all about in my name and what that means to our prayers and then secondly, I want to talk about bringing glory to the Father uh, through our prayers. And so let's, man, I'm really struggling with this today. Uh, the little clicker, don't want to do what I want it to do. Do we need to say in Jesus' name when we pray? Yes, I am. I'm very good. What do I need? What do, do we need to say in Jesus' name when we pray? I want to hear your response before we look to see what Scripture says. Yes? Okay. I'm hearing yeses whispered. Coming what? The attitude of my heart is. Okay. Okay, if you go by the answer, the example that the Lord gave us, he doesn't say in my name, he just says amen. Okay, anybody else? Well, as you talk about the beginning or the end, 
Okay, so if I have to say the name Jesus every time I pray, then the extremist thing of help doesn't work. Or, oh God, as you're jumping off, falling off the cliff. <laughs> Jesus is the way. He's the way. He's who we can Okay. He, in, he tells us if we ask him his name. Are we asking him his name? Let me, let me give you literally my thought process. The very first thing that I thought as I was mulling this over. Hocus pocus dominocus ini mini mini mo. I need this to happen to me now. In Jesus' name. There are many people. What do you see in movies and in television when something horrific happens? Oh my God. Bless me. I don't want to die. I don't want this evil to come on my life. And human beings have a tendency to spiritualize, make magic certain things. And I, at least in my own life, I cannot speak across the board, but in my own life, in Jesus' name became an incantation. It was not a heart issue for me. It was rote habit. And I have literally tried for the last number of months to pray and not say in Jesus' name. And you know how, I ha how hard it is? I have to bite my tongue, literally. Not because I'm not wanting to bring glory or honor to God, not because I don't believe in Jesus, not because I'm not a follower of Jesus anymore, but I don't want it to just be just the thing I say. I want it to mean something when I say it. When I call on the name of Jesus, it's because I'm calling on the name of Jesus, not just because it's an incantation that puts a nice little blessing in a little envelope that closes up my, my prayer time. But I was taught from the very beginning, when you pray, this is how you pray. Heavenly Father, our Father, oh God, this is what I want. In Jesus' name, amen. That's how I was taught to pray. And for 35 years, minus a few months. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Trying to pray in accordance with trying to pray in accordance with his will then. Yeah. Okay. Well let's let's look at what some of the scriptures say, um, and where I think some of this in Jesus' name idea came from. First of all, if you look in Matthew chapter eighteen, verses nineteen to twenty. Jesus is speaking and he says, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it'll be done for you by my father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Now, we've already looked at this section of scripture and how it relates to prayer, so we don't need to discuss that. But I truly believe this is one of the key scriptures that people have used in this idea of praying in Jesus's name. Another one. Well, there's the in my, in my name. I forgot to bring that up. I tell you the truth. My father will give you whatever you ask in my name. John chapter 16, verse 23. I'm going to have to make that a little bit bigger because I can't see it on the back screen. Um, 
This one, I think, is key, though, with this idea of asking in Jesus' name. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. If you ask for it in Jesus' name, you're going to get it. I don't believe that. I believe, as we've talked about a lot, it is not an incantation that I just mumble at the end of my prayer to, to sink the deal, to make sure that it's going to happen. It is... It is me knowing God's heart, me knowing his will, me walking in a relationship with him of intimacy where I then know how to pray. And we've talked about this for weeks and for weeks and for weeks. And I don't want to belabor this, but I just wanted to to touch on this. So the confidence we have in approaching God, this is out of 1 John. The confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. John, who wrote these words, is exactly the same John who wrote the gospel that said, that quoted Jesus as saying, if you ask for anything in my name, my father will give it to you. So I would submit to you, and I've done a little bit of study, and the commentators agree with this, that that wording in Jesus' name is actually being in accordance with the will of God. And remember, we talked last week about the fact that Christians, ultimately, our destiny was supposed to be that we were to be the viceroy of God, the ambassador of God, not ambassador, the representative of God here on this earth, that we were to be over our area of dominion that God had given to us, that we were then to subdue and rule as God's viceroy, God's representative, enacting his purposes, his plans, his will. And that prayer was a direct line of communication saying, Father, you've given me these orders, and so I'm sending you back the request for supplies to fulfill your orders. And so communication between headquarters and the the outpost was the, the line of prayer. So when we are praying, we can have confidence when we approach God. If we ask anything according to his will, because that's what we're acting as, as his representative here on earth, and praying that his will would be accomplished here on this earth, because that's what Jesus said in the model prayer. He hears us, and we know that if he hears us, that whatever it is, we know that we will have what we asked of him. So I think this idea, and this is all I wanted to say, but I think the idea of in Jesus' name, as Beverly said, is it's more heart attitude than it is incantation. You don't have to say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. It doesn't hurt. It's not an inappropriate thing. And I will most likely go back to it. But it's not a magical phrase that you have to say to make your prayer work. The attitude of your heart, the idea of being in right relationship with God, listening to the leading of his Holy Spirit, asking before you begin to pray, Lord, what would you have me pray in this situation? Hearing his heart, his will, and then speaking it. And if you do that, then you can have confidence knowing that he hears you and you'll get what you ask for. Because he wouldn't tell you to ask for it if he's not going to do it. Okay, enough of this one. Yes, ma'am. Okay, well, we don't have to preach the rest of the sermon again. 
Yeah, we go home early. Okay. But yes, yes, exactly. Okay. And I'll, I'll be talking about that in this next section. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 this, I'll give you the $5 later. Okay. <laughs> so, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. And you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. This idea of glory to the Father, which we already talked about, um, is bringing praise. Okay, Prayer has no higher beauty or blessedness than this, that it glorifies the Father. Andrew Murray. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Ah, come on, fingers. So this idea of prayer being done in a manner in which our intent is to honor God, to bring glory to God, to bring praise to his name, to pray in accordance to his will. This is our heart. This is what we want to do. This is what we say yes to. So what is the disconnect? Because there are many people who name Christ who pray and never see an answer to their prayers. It may not be in his time. They may Jesus himself. I mean, the words himself, the words specifically says you don't get you don't get what you ask for because you ask wrongly. OK, there, there's a portion in, 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 in one of the epistles. I don't remember if it's James or if it's Peter or John, but it says you don't get because you don't ask in the right manner. Oh, that means I got to say in Jesus name. No, but it says it. <laughs> So what is the disconnect? What is the problem? And I would submit to you it's a universal problem. All Christians struggle with it at some point in their walk. And it is this. Read with me Romans 8, verses 4 through 14. Not out loud, just follow along as I read it. Let me turn to it. Romans chapter 8. And I keep turning way past. My fingers are just not working with me today. Okay, Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 14. In, a, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, excuse, uh, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the, meads of the, the misdeeds of the spirit of the body, you will live because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God, are the children of God. Now, that's a lot of words. There's a lot of theology. I've preached numerous sermons on that, and we don't have time this morning to go into all the depth of it. But understand this, that you have within you a nature that goes contrary to God. It's called the carnal nature. It is 
that part of you that is not going to do what you tell me to do no matter what. I might be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And it's just part of who we are as human beings. In 1 Thessalonians, we read Paul's letter. He says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, your soul, your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Now, what does that mean? It means may God himself set you apart for holy purposes. And not only set you apart, but make you holy and clean and pure through and through your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body. And I want to talk to you this morning about what that is, because I believe that that's the disconnect. I believe that that is why we speak. I want to glorify God, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do. But the way sometimes I actually live out my life hinders my prayers. And keeps me from receiving answers from God because I ask wrongly. And I want to talk to you about that and give you a, an, a written tool, a visual that you'll be able to apply not only for yourself but for someone else. So pull out the piece of paper that you don't have and the pencil that you don't have and take these notes. Okay. That's interesting. It's an oval there. It's a circle there. <laughs> Okay, it's a circle. It's a circle. <laughs> Thank you. Um, this is our body. This is the shell that we are housed in. Okay? I'm making no, no comments. Just for observation and for visualization. Okay? Here is your mind. This is your mind. This is your mind on drugs. Oh, sorry. That's something totally different. But it does look like that egg in the frying pan, doesn't it? Anyway... You kids are too young to remember. All right. <laughs> Here is our emotions. Here is our will. Okay? Notice the mind, the emotions, the will are contained within the body. They are not separate from the body. The mind, the emotions, the will are what comprise who you are, your soul. You are a living soul housed within a body. Now, Where's the spirit come in? Depends on which theologian you talk to. Okay? Some theologians say that's the model right there. Other theologians, the one that I happen to, I particularly think is right, is this. That there is within us a spirit that is comprised of, notice where the spirit is, is located. See where the emotions, the mind, and the will all intersect in that little, quote-unquote, heart-shaped area? Whoops, the spirit is in there, made up of your mind, your emotions, and your will. There are certain things, let me get my little pointer so I can, I can do this really cool. There are certain things that are spiritual, that you do because you are a spiritual person. Like... You think about the glory of God and you want to figure out ways to bring glory to God. So that's your spiritual part of your mind right here. But maybe you're thinking about the baseball scores from last week because your favorite team just won and you're excited. And that has nothing to do with a spiritual part of you. It's just your mind thinking. You may have a depth of emotion and passion and mercy 
and compassion for the, the lost souls in Bangladesh. So your emotions are involved, but it's in a spiritual part of, your, of who you are as a human being. Or you may love hot dogs. Or you may really enjoy getting sick while riding a, ro- a roller coaster. You know, that just makes me so happy. So it has nothing to do with your spirit person, who you are as a spiritual being. And then this is your will. Partly, I choose to pay 10% and above of my income to God. I choose to eat, make milkshakes at Mia's Cafe. It's not a spiritual thing. It's just part of who I am. I choose outside of my spirit man. So I, this makes more sense to me, that there is a body housing my soul and my spirit person. Okay? Now, notice that the spirit in this model is completely black. This represents to us a sinful unregenerate human being, someone who is not in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, someone who has not pled for mercy and the blood of Christ to cleanse them from all sins. And so they are sitting in an unregenerate state. They are pagan. They are heathen. They are sinful. They are going on a pathway to hell. So is it a death spirit? Their spirit. Like you can look at it that way. Yes. Broken. Dead, but dead gives way too much because oh. it's not dead in the sense that it doesn't function. It's just not functioning correctly because of its corruption. Maybe that's a better way. Now, you then come into right relationship with God and you say, Lord God, I am sorry for my sins. I recognize that I have violated my relationship with you. And as a result, I am sorrowful and I repent of my sins and I cleanse. I ask you to cleanse me from all unrighteousness through the blood of Christ. So he does. And your heart, your spirit is now cleansed or forgiven of committed sins. Anything you've ever done wrong, God has forgiven you. Therefore, you are clean in his sight. However, as every Christian experiences, as Paul testifies in Romans chapter 7, there is this thing within me that always goes against what God wants and doesn't like it and wants and it's a struggle. And that's represented here by the black marks. This is... As a result of the fall, every human being experiences it. Your sins are forgiven, but there's still a sinful nature rebelling against God, a carnal nature that rebels against God. In our theology, Wesleyan Arminian theology, we teach that a second work of grace takes place in our relationship with God, where we by faith ask for God to cleanse us of the carnal nature. So not only are our sins forgiven, but our nature is made right again. The renewing of the heart. Ezekiel said, I will take the stony heart and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. Jeremiah said, I am establishing a new covenant with man. It is no longer a written code that they must adhere to. I will now, through my spirit, write it on their hearts, on their minds. And they will no longer have to teach each other. It will be taught to them by me. So I understand and believe that 
in my relationship with God right now, I have been what is theologically called sanctified or entirely sanctified. The carnal nature is no longer a major issue for me. Yes, things can come up. And yes, I can start trying to, to, to be my own person again. But as long as I remain in submission to God, the carnal nature is not an issue. It's no longer fighting against me because I've already killed it every day. It says, Paul says, I die daily. I submit myself daily. I, I, I yield myself daily. And as long as I submit to the Holy Spirit, I then, in what we understand theologically, progress in my sanctification. What in the world does that mean? Well, that means that the part of me that is carnal and that is no longer carnal but that is spiritual becomes more and more christ-like okay let me show you the progression i am a sinful person i enter into right relationship with god through jesus christ my sins are forgiven but there's still a carnal nature i ask god to through his holy spirit cleanse me from my carnal nature he the he does and on a daily basis, as I continue to submit to God, continue to die daily, continue to allow him to control, he makes me more and more Christ-like. This theologically is called progressive sanctification. And then finally, the day comes, whoops, one more. Finally, the day comes when I am glorified and I enter into God's presence. Okay? So, if we go back, I'm sorry I have to do this because I, I didn't put that slide in there. If I go back to that, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. The disconnect is when I try to pray, I need to not let myself get in the way, my carnal nature get in the way. Of praying, I need to continually say, God, not my will, thy will. God, I don't care what happens to me. I want your kingdom to be advanced. It's all in the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is, it is totally selfless to be Christ-like. But it is not your effort. It is not something you are striving for every day. May God himself sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Not that you make it blameless, but that God himself keeps you blameless until the coming of Jesus, who then will glorify you and bring you into his presence. One more time. Here's my body, my mind, emotions, and will, which comprise my soul. Here is my sinful spirit that's broken and out of fellowship with God. It is now cleansed of committed sins, but still carnal in its nature. Here it is cleansed of the carnal nature by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a second work of God in my life. And then as I continue in that relationship without violating my relationship, God grows me more and more and more to be Christ-like until the day comes when I enter into glory. That's where the disconnect comes. If you're not seeing your prayers answered, if you are struggling and saying, God, why, God, why, God, why? It is the duty, it is a duty for the glory of God to live and pray so that our prayers can be answered for the sake of God's glory. Let us pray, learn to pray well. That's Andrew Murray's words. The answer is not you didn't have enough faith. That's why you didn't get your prayers answered. 
It is not you're praying wrongly. Because if you're truly, sincerely trying to hear God and follow his will, then how can you be praying wrongly? Because you're not praying with, with selfish motives. Then you have the assurance that we talked about earlier. You can know he hears you and you know that he's going to give you what you ask for if you're praying in his name or in accordance with his will. So the end result is simply, Father, I trust you. It may not come about in my time frame. But in all that I am, I have released everything to you. I have allowed you to just totally take control. You are my God and my Savior and my Lord. You have cleansed me from selfishness, the carnal nature. And so, God, I just rest in you. I don't understand why the answer is not coming yet, but I trust you. I trust you. And I continue to bring it before you until you tell me to stop. We don't have to see the answer right now. But we can know if we're in right relationship with him right now. And we can know if we're asking correctly right now. And if everything's right, if it's all lined up the way God wants it to be, then just rest in him and trust him. Yes, ma'am. Exactly. Exactly. Romans 8.26, if you didn't hear her. In Romans 8.26, it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, and we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words can't express. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. He, the Holy Spirit, when you can't pray, when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for you, and he'll never violate the law to, to, to pray out of God's will. And if you know that you're praying in accordance with his will, you can know that he hears you and you can know that you will get what you ask for. So, Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you for your spirit's witness to us this morning of your presence. Thank you, God, for this word. This is, this is pretty powerful to me that Indeed, the chief end of prayer is not for me to get what I want, not for my faith to be bolstered, not for me to prove that there's a God, but the whole reason for me to pray is simply to bring glory to you, Lord God. Help me to be mindful of that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with each one of us as we go throughout the week. Go in his peace.